Hello and welcome to the Milkshakes for Marley podcast. I'm Kate Fisher and I am your host. I've written this podcast to give blood product recipients a platform to tell their stories, to thank donors and to encourage people to donate blood, plasma, platelets or breast milk. This podcast aims to bridge the gap of anonymity between Australian blood donors and their recipients. It creates a space for recipients and the people who love them to tell their stories of survival. It documents the remarkable lives they go on to live, the contributions that they make to their communities and the joy that they bring to those around them. If you have ever been a blood donor, you could have been the one to save the life of the guests that we profile here on the Milkshakes for Marley podcast. And becoming a donor in the future means that you too could become a part of this story. Milkshakes for Mali is the name of the lifeblood team of donors who were inspired to donate plasma and other blood products after hearing the story of our amazing five-year-old daughter Mali, who has seronegative autoimmune encephalitis. For her, plasma infusion is both life-preserving and when she relapses, it is life-saving. To hear Mali's incredible story, please go back to episode one in your podcast feed. Today, we have two guests on our show who both owe their lives to Australian blood donors, but have received their blood products in very, very different circumstances. Emma and I briefly worked together well over a decade ago, and it was in those first flutters of romance that she told me about this amazing man called Jimmy. They would go on to fall in love, get married, and have two beautiful girls. The road to get here, though, hasn't been an easy one. At the age of just two years old, Jimmy had burns to 30 to 40% of his body. He died three times following the injury, but was able to be revived. The severity of his injuries meant that it was unclear, if he even did survive, what the quality of his life would look like. When a patient suffers severe burns, plasma infusion offers some relief. It can replace lost fluid and proteins, which can stop a patient from going into shock. In addition, patients may have major transfusion requirements from surgical blood loss, decreased red cell production and increased red cell destruction. Most patients will require multiple transfusions as their bodies recover from burn injuries and often require further blood products if they go on to have skin grafts or reconstructive surgeries. Jimmy's injury happened to him over 40 years ago and we will never know how many blood products he has needed across his life. He has spent 27 of the last 44 years in and out of hospital, having skin grafts and reconstructive surgeries. So if you are listening to this and you have been a blood product donor any time in the last 42 years, you could very easily have been the person that saved Jimmy's life and gave him the opportunity to go on and live such a big and beautiful life. I contacted Emma recently to see if Jimmy would consider being a guest on our podcast And while we were chatting, she mentioned that she too was a blood product recipient, following a significant hemorrhage after the birth of their second daughter. Severe bleeding after birthing a baby, also known as postpartum hemorrhage, means the loss of more than 500 mils of blood after a vaginal birth or more than 1,000 mils of blood or a litre of blood after a C-section. This level of blood loss can make women very anemic and or unwell, making it very difficult for them to recover from birthing and care for their babies. And of course, if blood loss exceeds these volumes, it can become life-threatening, and it's estimated that around 3% of women require blood products after birthing their babies. 
In a Milkshakes for Marley first, I'm interviewing Emma and Jimmy together for this episode because had blood product not been available for them when they separately needed it, they would not now be living their wonderful lives together. So Emma and Jimmy, welcome to the Milkshakes for Marley podcast. Okay, so Emma and Jimmy, welcome to the Milkshakes for Marley podcast. And Emma, thank you so much for being such an incredible plasma donor. I really hope Marley's got a little bit of your plasma floating around in her somewhere. <laughs> um, we've written this podcast to thank donors just like you um, for being able to, and if, for anyone that's able to listen to these episodes, they could wonder if they were the one that saved somebody's life. So you could very well have been the one that has saved Marley's life plenty of times being a plasma donor. So thank you so much for what you do. Um, now, we stayed in contact via socials and I've seen you guys get married and create your beautiful family and your beautiful little girls. Um, so tell me about what has been happening in the last 10 years since I've seen you. <laughs> it's been that long. Oh my God. Well, it has been because Thomas, so our oldest guy, um, is 11 now. So it's a long time since I was doing IVF and we were working together. Um, and there was those early days of little flutters of Jimmy that were talked about during those early days. <laughs> so it's been a long time. It has. Gosh, time does fly, lovely. My goodness. So it does. Goodness, not just very much like yourself. We've met. Yeah. We've had children. We've had ups and downs. We've had what? I, I don't know. I, I goodness, where do you start? <laughs> I don't know. Where to start. <laughs> really? I um, think we've managed to squeeze in all like your major life um, checkpoints, I guess, in the last 10 years, like married kids, yeah. we've moved into stay, job. Yeah, yeah unfortunately death and um, yeah. celebrated um, many milestones yeah. as well. We've had a few deaths in that time. Yeah, mm. which is very normal. And 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 you've reached 40. That yep. was a big yep. milestone that he yep. thought he would never reach. <laughs> birthday that's not something to be taken for granted not everyone gets that far no no I was, when I was a bit, bit wilder in my younger years I didn't think I'd make it this far but hey we, we, we <laughs> and how lucky were we that there was no socials back in those early wild days I'm so grateful that there's no records of any of these things <laughs> so Emma when I approached you um it was about interviewing Jimmy for the podcast and you shocked me by telling me that you were yourself a blood product recipient um so after the birth of your second daughter you suffered a postpartum hemorrhage due to complications from preeclampsia at what stage during that did you realize how serious your condition was look to be honest I didn't uh, I was quite unwell um to start off, they don't, they, the doctor still to this day and the nurses still to this day don't understand how I got it with my second and not my first. I strongly believe right. I had it with my first, but it wasn't as severe. It wasn't picked up because mm -hmm. everything was in the normal range. And that sure. still to this day upsets me because I all my symptoms were never normal. They were high for me. Right. There was protein in my urine. There was a few little things that were not normal for me, but, but according to the medical world, they were all normal so it wasn't mm -hmm. until so I gave birth at 36 weeks uh due to preeclampsia and right. it probably wasn't until 35 weeks that I thought I really don't feel well I'd put on a lot mm -hmm. of fluid I was massive yeah. and it sort of went downhill quite quickly 
So within a space of five days, I went and saw my obstetrician who didn't recognize me. I was so big. He actually didn't know who I was. Oh, wow. So thankfully, Jimmy was with me that day. And because Jimmy being so recognizable, he mm-hmm. it has to be Emma. Who else could this person be? Um... And said, listen, Emma, you need to be admitted immediately. So we went straight to yeah. the hospital and that was a bit of a, a shock for us. Like I knew I wasn't well, but I just didn't really comprehend just how unwell how sick you were yeah right that's right so it was a bit of a rush in I had to spend the night I had uh, steroids they had to pump me full of steroids and for anyone who has had to have steroids I I feel you I empathize yeah. with you it sends you I don't know it's not fun no so I'm so sorry mm. for anyone who has ever had to have it I I get it I was so tired yet I could not sleep it's yeah bizarre yeah 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 so I had to do that they sent me home the next day they were saying to me that it was for bubs lungs heart uh-huh. I'm sorry I've been so it's good no no it's lungs sorry yeah that's one of the things they do to help um develop their lungs um we had to do it Thomas was early and we went through exactly the same thing so yeah I get it and it's not fun no no so I uh, went back home they said look come and see me come back to hospital in a couple of days and I went mm-hmm. back to hospital. They said, we'll give you another injection of steroids. But I went back in and they said, listen, things aren't looking good for you. You're still not, your vitals are still not right. You're not going anywhere. We're going to admit. Yeah. And Tobias, lovely Toby, he came in mm-hmm. and said, you're still not well, girl. You need to give birth immediately. Yeah. So let's have a baby. Yeah. And um, due to someone else being more serious than I was I got bumped down the line to give a c-section and that is fine I was in hands mm-hmm. I was still safe. yeah I sure was okay so the poor lady got rushed in and she was all sorted which was lovely and then I went in and I just kept saying to Jimmy I'm not well yeah I'm not, I don't and he goes well of course you're not well Emmy you know you've got preeclampsia you're having a baby yeah yeah I, said, I, I don't I'm not well didn't you yeah and they Toby was fantastic, got Bob out. She wasn't well either. And I'm sorry I don't have the records. I should. They're just sitting over here. I should actually grab them. No, she wasn't well either. Fine. She was quite ill herself. Um, she got rushed off mm-hmm. to NICU quite quickly. Yeah. And Jimmy said to me, listen, Emma, I'm, I'm going to go with, do you mind if I say her name? No, uh, I'm going to go with Addie uh, and, and you're yeah. being looked after. You know, you need to go have your procedure and, and be monitored. And I said, that's fine. That's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah, absolutely. Please go look after our girl and still kept yeah. I'm not well. I'm not well. I had pains in my stomach. During that time, we actually had a fight in the delivery room. We had the, um, <laughs> no, 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 not Jimmy and I, for once in our life. Of all the times. For once in our lives, it wasn't Jimmy and I. So it was between, I don't even know who these ladies were. The ladies were monitoring Addie in the oxygen tank. Yeah, and my um, Addie couldn't breathe on her own. Right, by helping her breathe, and there was a bit of a, um, I guess a, <laughs> a difference of opinion on yeah, sure, to sort of assist her with her breathing. And you don't want differences of opinion in a situation like that. You want someone to be definitive and go, "This is what this baby needs right now. This is what we're doing." 
But the anaesthetist actually jumped in and she started fiddling with the knobs while the two nurses were standing there monitoring Addie. And they ended up fighting, mm. saying, don't you dare touch my knob, mm. don't you dare come near this, who are you? Oh, wow. And the anaesthetist said, listen, I've been around here for a very long time. You weren't doing your job. We wanted something done quickly. I could clearly see this baby was struggling and I feel that you were doing the wrong thing. <laughs> mm. I was like, that's fine. As long as my baby's okay, that's, that's yeah, fine. yeah, absolutely. So that all happened, and I was too busy worrying about that, and it all went downhill for me. Addie was mm-hmm. in NICU. Jimmy kept saying to the nurses, "Where's my wife? Oh, you know, know yeah. how much she wants to see the baby, our baby." And within a space of six hours, Jimmy almost lost myself and Adeline. I lost over wow. half of my blood. I was having seizures and fits and and uh, almost to the point of, of, of death. Apologies for saying that. I was not quite yeah, having this No. And um, apparently I was triaged from one nurse to another. And I nicely, I, I look back on this nicely, I didn't actually feel anything. It was quite peaceful I think externally Mm -hmm. it wouldn't have been if the people looking after me were quite scared and worried about me of course Uh, yeah feel anything in a a lovely way uh there was I was in pain every time I came to that was due to the as Toby described it was uh, a tap was turned on in my stomach yeah right internally and Mm -hmm. other than that there was no pain I just felt really awful and unwell and just kept saying to the nurses every time I came through came to sorry can I please see my baby look I'm not important yeah. you can see all these beautiful people out here in the hospital ward they clearly need you more than me and she's going sweetheart yeah no yeah. you need the help and I didn't understand they kept closing off all the the curtains and they they wouldn't let anyone else beside me and people kept coming oh, and going wow. so I didn't really know in the nicest possible way what was going on I was monitored for 24 hours myself uh, mm-hmm. that and you've just birthed a baby like your headspace isn't in your own recovery and your own well-being it's no. where's my baby that's right I wanted I wanted her and mm-hmm. what was going on yeah finally Jimmy came down and went oh my god oh my god so they, they wouldn't they didn't tell me so I was upstairs oh, wow. with with Bob um mm-hmm. and we didn't know if she was going to make it and mm. looking back, I'm, I'm not actually sure if that was a deliberate thing. I, I hope it was. I hope it was a deliberate yep. thing that they weren't telling me how bad it was. So mm. I could, I guess, focus on the little one as opposed to having. Yeah, absolutely. Issues. But as the sort of time went on, I started getting a bit suspicious because they wouldn't, they literally wouldn't let me down there. They're like, no, 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 oh, wow. I should be fine. You know, you start up here. And after a little while, I was like, no, no, I, I want to go see my wife. I'm. You know. absolutely and let me have the choice yeah. as to who I want yeah. to be present with yeah so fortunately um, no I'll say fortunately fortunately by the time they did let me go down there then we sort of just and I'll put it just got past the worst of it I'd say mm. so I didn't see him in that state and and at the time mm-hmm. I had no idea because I was I was upstairs worried about the little one I didn't know how bad yeah how quickly your life can completely change in the space of that you know six hour period that you know you thought that you were about to become a family of four and you came so close to you know being a single dad with you know possibly a bereaved single dad with you know only one of your little ones and how quickly that can change 
Um, did you have a C-section for your first delivery, Em? No, I didn't. No, so you had you didn't have anything to compare it to either. No, that's right. No, I definitely opted mm. for the Caesar. I didn't have a pleasant birth with with Millie, unfortunately. So I yeah. said to my obstetrician, I'm going to say his name, Mr. Tobias. Um, he is just amazing man. He, he saved us, really. He, yeah, if not well. for him, we would not be here today. He came yeah. and just said, no, this is not okay. So mm. He saved my life and mm. Adeline's mm. life. Mm-hmm. And the nurses that looked after me and the doctors that looked after me, I have so much praise for them. I even had mm-hmm. nurses come looking for me the next day just to make sure I survived the night. And wow. just the, the work that they do and everything that they do, I cannot thank them enough for it. And so during that yeah. time, uh, because I lost so much blood, I had to have three blood transfusions and two mm-hmm. iron transfusions. And to whomever gave them I, I cannot thank them because I don't know who they are yeah absolutely yeah saved my life mm. and mm. if it wasn't for whoever whomever donated I would not be here mm. telling my story and talking to you and no. so whomever mm. whoever does it thank you and yeah not only have you saved mm. me but you've also helped me with my iron count so yeah <laughs> it's a positive which frankly makes you a lot friendlier <laughs> having been through a similar process <laughs> You're a lot friendlier when your iron levels are a lot nicer. Um, so I have got in here um, that you did require three blood transfusions and two iron transfusions. And had that blood product not been immediately available, your life certainly would have been in danger. Um, the transition to motherhood for me meant feeling my own mortality was no longer relevant. When we first had Thomas, I actually didn't really care about myself anymore. Like, you know, you see people da- driving dangerously on a road or something and all of a sudden you're like, you know, if that car hits me head on and I die, that's kind of suboptimal. But if anything ever happens to my baby, mm. then, you know, you just you just see life in a completely different way. Um, but you had just given birth, but you also had another little one at home and that makes things a little bit different. What's the age difference between the girls? They're four years apart. So, yeah, so she was still only little. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> she was still a little one at home, and but difficult at the age of four because she would have, you know, deserved an honest answer about if mummy and her little sister weren't well as well. Um, you told me that your obstetrician asked you to stop trying to compete with Jimmy um, because he had tried to die far more times than you. Um, how has this changed? For the record, I just want to clarify something. was to compare, but I actually died. So I'll, I'll that one. You do. You. I'll make a note of that. We'll get to your story in a minute, Jimmy. Just let the poor girl have a minute. <laughs> How do you think this has changed, um, influenced your journey as parents and changed the way that you have parented the girls and um, the way that you're raising your family? Oh, goodness. That's a, that's a very good question, Kate. Um, it just showed me that uh, even though I, I was in recovery and very unwell, I was there for in hospital for a week and Addie was there for three weeks. And mm-hmm. it just showed me how much resilience and how much power, I don't even know what word to use with this power, how much drive you have to make sure that your baby survives. Even though yeah. I, I could hardly walk. Actually, I couldn't, sorry, my apologies. I could not walk. So yeah. for a good three to four days, I physically could not walk. 
and Mm -hmm. Jimmy would be saying to me Emma you need to rest and I'd say no bub needs my milk she needs me I need to get there and I would force myself to get upstairs to her to give her the milk that she needed I was adamant to get through it as quickly as I possibly could. When I was able yeah. to walk, it was it was a funny shuffle, but I was shuffling as quick as I could mm. to get up there. Mm. When I was discharged, that was almost torture being discharged yeah. in the same hospital and having. I've done it. Yeah, exactly. It's really hard. It's because you don't ever imagine, you know, especially if you've got a baby in NICU, because you know that you know, their life is in danger until they come out of there and things can go wrong so quickly in the middle of the night and walking away from them is the hardest thing. We were lucky that it was with our first baby, I think, because we didn't know what we were missing out on. But you guys, it wasn't your first baby. So you knew what you were walking away from at that hospital every night. Very much so, very much so. The lucky thing with Addie was she was able to come out of NICU into I'm so sorry. I don't know what the next special care. Special care. Mm. Thank you. Room. This is a step down. Yeah. Right. And the the whole process is very confronting and and Mm. just out of your norm. But thankfully, we had amazing nurses who were assisting you in every step of the way. The doctors were fantastic. Um, And you could hear other parents in the area as well talking about their stories. And it just made you realize that. Look, we're lucky because we have our child. She mm. may be in this room, but overall, we're okay. We're we're good. Yeah. You know, just just get through mm. time, get through this time. We will be okay. You just, I just, and just as hard it is as it is, thinking positive. I did have to rely on Jimmy quite a bit because there were times when I had, you know, the baby blues came through, and yeah, of course. And that doesn't stop just because you've got, you know, a baby in NICU and. Those, you know, you end up with the adrenaline fatigue too, being in survival mode that much on top of your crazy oxytocin highs. And, you know, you're recovering from major surgery as well that you didn't know that you were going to have when you went in there the day before. Like it's a lot. That's right. Very much so. Mm. Very much so. So we just, we just, you just do. You just, you have this strength and power and ability. You just do it. I don't know how mm. else to explain it. it it's is, almost like you're going on autopilot. You just sort of um, you do. You just do what you have to do. Like you just, yeah, like mm. says, I don't know really how else to explain it. You just get up in the morning and you go and do what you got to do and you deal with whatever whatever gets thrown at you, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And develop such strong relationships with the people that are around you as well. We've certainly had that with our PICU days that, you know, some of the people that we've shared hospital rooms with when Molly has been at her sickest, you share a vulnerability with those people in that moment that no one else will ever be able to understand how scared you were that night that you thought you were saying goodbye to your child because they were going to die. And we've had that happen quite a few times now. Um, we had, I'll just give a little shout out to the incredible um, Rami family that we shared a room with. Um, their son JP had a brain tumour and we shared a room with them um, when we were in Sydney when Marley and I were there for a couple of months after her first airlift and they just treated me like they were that I was their own family and they just folded me into their life and just to have that shared ground of terror but also gratitude that our kids were still there when you know we were hearing the met calls go every night being on that neurology ward and the next morning some of those kids weren't still there and while you're terrified and it's confronting and it's awful it takes you places that 
you just don't realise that that's going on behind the closed doors of children's hospitals every single day and the incredible people that, you know, go on to fight another day. So, um, so on that note, <laughs> you just I have all sorts of great flashbacks during this podcast of all the scary nights that we've had. Um, so for Marley, plasma infusion is life-saving when she suffers an acute autoimmune encephalitis relapse and it's life-preserving for every infusion in between. One of the things that we thank donors for is not just keeping Marley alive, but also for keeping a little sister with her big brothers and us um, with her as our daughter, so keeping her with her parents. How grateful are you to be able to grow up and see your babies grow up as a family of four? Oh, I don't think there's oh, strong enough words, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't even know where to start with the answer of that question. Yeah. No, That's like, a note there. So, Kate, I'm going to start crying. Yeah. Like, yeah. your story, Jimmy can relate to that more than I can. Um, like, I, I don't feel that my story is that significant or different. Um, you know, or to me, I was just giving birth, but um, mm. a lot of women do need blood after birth um, and you do hear stories. So for anyone who is listening who hasn't had children or about to have a second, mm. third, fourth, please don't think that this is normal or one that's going to happen to you. Unfortunately, mine was a very, mm. very unfortunate event and a very unfortunate situation to go through. Um, yeah. It's, it does, I do think about it a lot. I do think about mm. it a lot. Um, you know, what did I, what could I have done better? What could I have done to try and, not go through a situation but unfortunately there was absolutely nothing that I really could have done and to be on the other no. side and you just the the thought of of almost losing your baby um and coming extremely close to it is very hard um yeah coming out as four is is beautiful and I'm sorry for anyone who doesn't come out at, at the number that they were hoping for I truly am very very mm. sorry for that I know there's nothing I can say or do to stop that or help that I were yeah uh, this is the madhouse as I tell everybody um and we you know, <laughs> we wouldn't have it any other way mm. Jimmy and I did breed and we've bred twice now so mm. putting our personalities <laughs> together has <laughs> Pretty most honest thing anyone has said on the milkshake <laughs> <podcast. laughs> as, as unfortunate as a situation that we've been through we both generally consider ourselves very lucky like we yeah, absolutely yeah we don't i don't know like um it, it was tough don't me wrong but the consequences could have been so much worse so we generally mm. are very um grateful that came out the way we came out yeah so to give it a bit of a comparison one of the things that jeff and i often talk about is you know we have we are queenslanders so we've had a pretty good run with the lockdown situation so far to put that in context though um we homeschooled our kids when we were still living in canberra last year from march to september until we moved up here because Marley was so severely immunocompromised at the time, it wasn't just COVID, it was anything. If she got a cough, cold, bit of gastro or something, that would have been enough to take her because we had to destroy her immune system to stop it wrongly identifying her healthy brain cells as foreign and attacking her brain. Um, so disclaimer, 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 it's not a competition between states, but we've done our fair share of lockdown. Um, but just to hear, you know, and it's tough, but we have really appreciated having that extra time with our kids, having, you know, 
we didn't think that we were at times going to be able to all be together as a family of five ever again when Marley was so sick in hospital at times. And, you know, Jeff has said goodbye to Marley and put her in a chopper and we've been whisked off away into the night and he didn't know if he was ever going to see her alive ever again. And, you know, even making that decision about who goes in the chopper with the kid and, you know, then who makes those decisions if you get in, like in the air I couldn't communicate with him but that you know I had to make decisions in there on behalf of our whole entire family that you know really influenced whether our family was going to all be able to stay together or not and um yeah so the thought of being able to be walked down together and be able to spend all day every day together like I mean the kids drove me crazy trying to homeschool and our house is such a chaotic mess and like all of those things but I think it's just really changed our priorities and you know we actually don't care we just want to be together and that was a big part of our move to Queensland um, no paediatric intensive care facilities in Canberra. So we kept getting airlifted to Sydney all the time. And our move to Queensland meant that we had a local PQ with much cheaper cost of living. So it meant that I could just devote my time and energy to looking after these beautiful children. Um, and that if Marley had PQ admissions and all the time she spends in hospital, you know, we're either seven minutes from our house to where the Sunshine Coast University Hospital is, and we've tested that in ambulances and it's a hell of a lot quicker with lights and sirens, or it's an hour down the road to Brisbane. So it means that Jeff can duck down during the week, we can swap over, you know, the boys can come down and even just a day trip and I can take them out for lunch and Jeff can spend some time with Marley and we can keep our family life as normal as we possibly can. So that was sort of, yeah, the way that I was framing that question. <laughs> um, we don't use video as a medium during this, but um, I love you, Emma. I love you so much and I miss you and your energy and I didn't mean to upset you then. Um, oh, I guess very emotional. one of the beautiful things. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> That's why we clicked. It's all it's all out there. We're not hiding anything. No. Um, but I, you're one of the few people on this podcast that I'm interviewing that knew me before I was a mum as well. So it's fascinating oh. to talk to someone that, you know, your priorities and all things in life are different before you're a parent. So, very much yeah, so. very much. It's so. beautiful. No. Okay. So while we are talking about all of our beautiful children, I think it's important to note um, that without blood donors, we're going to move on to Jimmy's story now, um, that Jimmy, you wouldn't have survived long enough to be able to create this beautiful family with Emma. Um, I don't know anything about your injury. So just if you can share with me as much as you feel comfortable and yeah, just let people know what you've been through. Um, so basically when I was two years old, I was in a house fire. So what happened was um, I got some petrol. So I climbed up in the garage and tipped some petrol on myself. Um, and so, and then I went inside. So mum was in um, baking my birthday cake. And it was one of those sort of oh old gas ovens that had like a bit of a, what do you call it? The, you know, you got the, the flame around the bottom. So yeah. The Ellen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I've come yep. in and... Obviously, mum didn't know I, I'd sort of um, tipped petrol on myself. So she, as I'm coming yeah, in, she's opened the oven. She was getting that birthday cake out, and I came running past. And because of the fumes from the petrol, basically a flame literally shot out, and, yeah, I caught a light, unfortunately. Mm. So, um, yeah, that, that was on my second birthday. We often say that the Fisher family story is stranger than fiction, but to be doing that while she was baking your birthday cake on your second birthday. Yeah. yeah. You, you couldn't no, make that up. No. 
So very tough, tough on mum. Um, mm. I I think very fortunately, I don't remember things. I was two years old. Yeah. Um, I remember yep. obviously the aftermath and growing up, but the, to- the actual incident itself, I'm very um, thankful that I don't remember it. You don't remember any of it. No, um, you know. Now I have kids myself. I, I just, I don't know. The thought of, of what Mum went through, like seeing mm. what happens, I just don't know how I could do that. To be honest, seeing one, of my, yeah. one of my children go through that. So I'm very strong. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anna, she is a beautiful woman. She would give the clothes off her back to her family mm. her what well, is being italian her one of her favorite things is well i can't take the money with me to the grave so i've got to give it to somebody yep. so always <laughs> smiling, always yep. giving yep. i just want to add a little bit to it the poor woman who went through it she said i went into shock and and mm. something that a lot of people like to say is that oh if i went through that i would have done abc but really yep. when you're in that you don't know what you're going to do no, you don't. And apparently the noise was so horrific and, and also she's such a, a beautifully loud woman that her mm-hmm. screams actually drew the back neighbour into the house and wow. came and put a blanket over Jimmy and put him out. And something that Jimmy didn't add, uh, um, that he actually died three times. Mm. So mm-hmm. he died in the house, um, he died in the ambulance and then he also died in hospital. Mm. So that was, mm-hmm. sorry, something just to, to bring into that. Um, yeah, yeah, to put it into perspective of how serious that was. That's and... right. And I've just mm-hmm. found out as, um, thank you for asking Jimmy, especially Jimmy, to tell his story. I might, like I said, I don't feel mine is that that significant. Um, so during that time, so he was so severe. So for the first five months after the accident, he had to have two operations every week for five months. During that time, he had to have blood. The, the poor Anna, she said, look, I just don't know how much he had. I'm no. Sorry. I, of course you wouldn't. I said, please, I don't want to bring those memories up. No. So he had two operations every week for five months, had to have blood every time. Mm. Because of his burns, they he, they had to use the skin grafts. So they had to get skin grafts from the, the, burn, the skin that wasn't burned. And it got to a point where the, the blood was almost, oh, I don't know what the right word is, but it was almost like he was having an allergic reaction to the blood and his body yeah. taking it and absorbing it the way that it needed to. So as Marley needs, mm-hmm. they ended up cutting full blood and giving him just plasma and mm. that was yeah wow yeah so we we're just talking about um that you know you guys probably will never know how many blood donors it took to save your life at the age of two um and one of the things that we make really clear as part of this podcast is that this is just a record of your memories and i am so incredibly grateful jimmy that you don't really have memories of this yeah. um our shared friend Emma Madsen told me that your mum is an absolute bloody legend and that I should have her on the podcast. Yeah. So <laughs> we might get her back for a second oh. season episode to do a follow up, I think. You because could do. Um, you could do a whole season on that woman. I, 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 I do not. <laughs> you wouldn't believe. By all accounts, oh. Oh, the stories <laughs> and what she's been through, yeah. the incredible woman. Yeah. She's just in, just amazing. And as, as you said before about the families that, that you and the friendships that you make 
with people yep. who are going through the same thing and she can say exactly the same thing one of my mm. favorite stories is that she we we worked out with Anna as well that Jimmy has actually spent on and off 27 years in and out of hospital having all kinds <sighs> of surgeries and and whatnot during that time and you end up making especially Anna said that you made these beautiful friendships with the nurses mm. and you do you have these fantastic so back in the day um, they used to go out and uh, party together. So they would go out and mm. have a great time together. They'll say, Anna, you have spent way too much time in the hospital. We're all going out. We're finishing shift. I'm making this time up. We're finishing shift at, you know, 10 o'clock. Yep. That's it. Bring the party yep. clothes. Jimmy's fine. Such and such is on. Mm. You're coming. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> yeah. So when we moved up here, I totally understand that. Some of my hardest goodbyes, there's a nurse in particular, it's going to make me cry, who... She saved Marley's life quite a few times and saying goodbye to her and leaving that safety net, just Marley saying goodbye to her and trying to just, you know, come up here and build that network all over again. It's really hard. And I just think nurses are the most incredible people in the whole entire world. They, you know, particularly in a paediatric context, because you're meeting kids who can't communicate parents who don't understand everyone's at their most vulnerable it's an unfamiliar situation and you have to be able to communicate at those two different levels and make everyone feel safe in the complete opposite way to what you guys experienced when Addie wasn't breathing properly just after she was born because that is textbook example of what not to do you just always want to feel that your health professionals are comfortable and confident and know exactly what they're doing so I'm really sorry that you had that experience um so what I was saying before is we're never going to know how many bags of blood you had to put into little two-year-old Jimmy yeah. um and that this podcast is not intended to be medically or scientifically correct in any way it's really just about you know your memories um and yeah big love to your mum because I'm sure she's got some pretty horrible nights um what as a mother what is so refreshing and beautiful about talking to you Jimmy is that my daughter has had such significant medical trauma and lives with such significant anxiety mm. um, at the moment she's had a few traumatic surgeries recently we've just lost the central line to her heart where her central access port goes for all of her infusions we had an access go wrong and it actually slipped and tore the top of her pectoral muscle and kinked the port itself and so she's had surgery they tried to save it they couldn't save it um, perfect example of a kid that's just had too much medical trauma is she knew she was going in for a general anesthetic and we got into the theatre like the theatre bay just before you go into theatre and she was everyone's talking and doing the checks and whatever and she's like can someone please just put that mask over my face and just put me to sleep because I just don't want to do this anymore yeah. and that's a big thing from a little five-year-old to be able to understand because she's had that many GAs yeah. that she knows you know and for a long time you'd say to her people would say to her oh what's your name and she'd say Marley and they'd say no no what's your full name and she would say Marley Jessica Fisher and then she'd rattle off her birth date and say and no allergies because she was so used to me doing medication checks in hospital that's what she thought her name was um so to see you guys and the you know the beautiful love that you've created and the beautiful family that you've created and the great things that you're doing with your lives it just 
makes me realize that she can go on to be so well adjusted and have such a beautiful life, you know, away from us and away from this trauma. And, you know, this is a condition that's going to have lifelong implications for her, but that doesn't mean that she can't do things her own way and groove to her own beat. So thank you. That's such an inspiration to see you guys just killing it at life at the moment. Oh, what a let's not go that far yeah. let's not go that far yeah. i'll edit that out it will go that far we'll just let's say we're, we're keeping our heads so, above water look aren't we all as parents to be far to be fair um so tell me about your careers and that's actually a good little segue to see what you know you guys are doing with your lives so emma i see your face on stay put girls quite often I see you bouncing around in your bras and inspiring me to get out and move my bum and exercise and do all of those things. And we'll pop a link in the show notes to your Instagram account so people can check that out. What else are you doing with your life? Oh, my goodness. Besides parenting, working, and when I can squeeze in Staple Girls, that's about it. When I, I created Staple Girls because I'd put on so much weight uh, after giving birth as so many of us have, mm-hmm. have uh, didn't we all oh and and a lot of people have during lockdown as well I just want to show yeah absolutely that doesn't matter what shape or anyone anyone not just mm. doesn't matter what shape size you are uh, you know mental health is uh, very difficult and I'm sure you know there are times when your mental health your poor thing has has suffered due to yeah absolutely to what you've gone through and exercise has mm. been a key help for me and and for Jimmy my goodness and I'm, I'm so sorry to say this Jimmy and I've told him this before if he doesn't exercise he's not a happy man <laughs> no it, no it is so important for mm. for him and for so many and I find that exercise mm. and putting your sports bra on and getting out there and moving even if it is on your lounge room floor like oh, I do that's that's all I had for such a long time yeah and moving simple thing as walking and just getting out Mm. and doing that half an hour and as awful as this word is being selfish as a mum and I don't really like saying yeah and just no I know what you mean though you and getting prioritizing your own yeah 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 and what I love so much about the stay put girls vibe and the account is that you know there's so much on social media about you know the health movement but it's actually about being really skinny and fitting into a particular aesthetic in the right, you know, workout gear and drinking the right smoothie and, you know, moving your body in the right way. And I never, ever, ever feel like that. Like it's content that makes me want to prioritize my own health, not content that makes me compare my body to something that's not achievable or not attainable. It makes me go, you know what, I actually do deserve to take an hour and listen to a podcast and go for a walk after dinner tonight or whatever it is. So Thank you for bringing that into our lives and our phones and it being thank the thing you. that we sometimes see at night before we go to bed. So it's really, really nice. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, and, Jimmy, you've had a very successful career as a police officer in the Australian Federal Police. Um, can you tell me what achievements you've been the proudest of during your time in policing? Ooh. Ooh. I've been really lucky with my career. I've managed to work in quite a few different areas. Um, yeah. I've worked overseas. I've actually worked in every state or territory in Australia except the Northern Territory. That's the only place yeah, I've right. worked in. Um, mm-hmm. I'll, have to, I'll have to tip that off the bucket list before I... Before I <laughs> um, it's really hard to answer that. I guess, um, I guess when I was working in a specialist area, it was really, really tough to get into. So getting through the whole selection is that was probably my 
career highlight, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but Can you talk about how hard that is, probably a bit more so for you? about your skin yeah yeah he won't talk about it Kate so (laughs) this is he needs to so the reason I'll tell you the reason that I asked the question and then you can answer it whichever way feels right for you so the reason that I've asked the question in that way is that we have three children who have got disabilities in varying ways so our two older boys um, are neurodiverse and they have quite a number of diagnoses between them Um, Marley has got residual brain damage from her autoimmune encephalitis. Um, All three of our kids have a really rare form of genetic diabetes and all three kids have got a global developmental delay, meaning that they're more than two years delayed across speech, fine and gross motor skills. Now, that sounds like a lot. With OTs and speeches and physical therapists and psychologists and our weeks, when you look at them on paper, are just hectic. But the way that we parent our children and the way that we try to approach our life and I guess this comes from me having experienced chronic illness um, previously and chronic pain conditions that have made my life a bit difficult to navigate at times is that there is not a single thing that our children can't do they might need to do it a little bit differently to other people Um, and you know you always use that throwaway phrase that you know especially in terms of accessing learning support in a classroom and being able to actually get into a classroom why put a set of stairs there and a ramp at the side where if you just put a ramp there, everybody could get into yeah. the classroom, yeah. you know, and there's nothing that my children can't do. It might look a little bit differently. It might take them a little bit longer. They might need a little bit of extra support, but if they set a goal for themselves, we're going to help them to achieve it in any way possible. Um, I imagine that two-year-old Jimmy in the state that he was in when we didn't even know whether he was going to live or not and what his life would look like if he did um, and what your quality of life would look like if that was happening. No one could have imagined that 40-year-old Jimmy would have this incredible career and be living such a fulfilling and full life. So undoubtedly you've had some additional um, hurdles to jump along the way. Um, So what makes you feel the most proud about that in terms of your policing career? You've had to, you have to try a bit harder. Yeah, yeah, look, um, so my injuries aren't all external, like, um, because mm-hmm. I did, I believe a little bit of the petrol got into my throat and I'd swallowed some, and I believe, damaged. yeah, so I've got damage, um, sort of, my vocal cords are slightly damaged, so if I do a lot of right. pain, um, I, mm-hmm. I, I pretty much lose my voice, it comes back, right. but once I put a bit of strain on it, I do lose it. Um, mm-hmm. I lost a percentage of my lungs too. Yeah, I don't know that. He's got a, the quarter of his yeah. lungs. So let's say say 20, 25% of my lungs. So um, anything physical, I'm already at a slight disadvantage because I, I've lost right. that sort of lung capacity. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, God, yeah, where does, when does it end? <laughs> I, I, I damage my sinus, so I, I don't breathe through my nose very much, if at all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. But, like you really hit the nail on the head when you said there's nothing your kids can't do. And that, that's absolutely mm. true. Like um, mm. growing up as a kid, there was plenty of things I was told I couldn't do. And and to be honest, it it, it, it was the driving force. Like it was the motivator for me. Mm. Okay, well, oh, yep. I can do that. Like if you can't do this, well, I'm going to do it. You can't do that. Mm. I'm going to do it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. it might yeah. take me longer mm. or harder or whatever mm. you want, but I, I've kind of spent my life... Um, trying to prove people wrong I suppose yeah absolutely so would you do you identify as living with a disability no no I don't and I think I spoke about it before like I don't know any different so yeah uh, everything's relative everything's subjective um 
I honestly think my life would be very different if it happened at a different stage of my life. Um, yeah, like sure. I'm a very sort of outgoing, open person. Um, I'm happy to talk about whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I do sometimes wonder if I'd be the same person if it happened later in life. And I, I, I don't know if I would be. It's, it's one I'm mm. probably going to be able to give a different yeah. answer to. Mm-hmm. Um, but growing up and knowing no different, like, yeah, mm. just... Um, I am what I am. It's just the way it is. Yeah. yeah. And see, I think that's so important too to hear that from your point of view in terms of being um, a parent of a family with children with additional needs because as much as you want to advocate for the kids so often, you also don't want to... I don't want them to think that anything's life-limiting for them. And so if people ask me that question about our children, do they identify as having a disability on paper to make sure that they get adjustments that they need in the world or funding or whatever it is. Absolutely. Do I always want you to assume that my children, like assume competency? Also, yes. Like I want them to have the same opportunities that everybody else has. And I think if the people around you assume that, then you just assume that in yourself too, particularly from a young age that there's nothing that they can't do. Oh, that's right. They'll just get in and give it a crack and you know we all fail spectacularly at plenty of things like I've looked at their physical development at times and gone it's just because you've got an uncoordinated <laughs> mother like, uh, that could actually just be from me that might be genetic but probably not in the way that we're assuming <laughs> true and, and because of and, and this is what um I, I absolutely love about you Kate is that you have this drive and determination and the the this this beauty of saying to your children you can and that that jimmy's mum the beautiful anna had just now i think it's a it's a natural thing that you have you either have it or you don't really Mm -hmm. and anna had it and has it jimmy Mm -hmm. uh, what he went through she would not stop him from doing anything she was like no we are going to keep going absolutely not yeah up Mm -hmm. keep going and it was just this attitude of no I don't care. Let's go. Mm. And she's still like that to this day. That yeah. has not gone <laughs> whatsoever. So not once did Jimmy ever stop to be allowed to do little A's. Like, oh, my goodness, he was fabulous in little A's. Mm. He still to this day. That's can... a mom's opinion. <laughs> <laughs> you know, nothing has ever stopped him, A, because of his personality. Oh, my goodness, between the two of us where there's biggest stubborn mules ever but Jimmy he is the most competitive man Mm. I have ever met in my Mm. life and nothing has stopped him yes he has less lung capacity than most yes he he's unable to breathe like we and something he didn't touch on is that his skin so as a burns victim your skin is like play-doh so it gets flat and he cannot sweat like Mm. we do Mm. so he actually overheats a lot quicker than Mm. anyone okay i didn't know that yeah okay the skin that is burnt doesn't sweat at all it's because of the um your your pores so right the skin that's been burnt it's pretty much it's almost as if the the pores have been closed over because the skin's damaged so what mm-hmm. what happens with me and it's the Wi-Fi quite funny when I start sweating I sweat in patches because I sweat with yeah wow damaged like eventually everything mm-hmm. gets wet because I'm a big sweater but the initial <laughs> yeah, yeah. the initial sweating I come out in patches first yeah so yes yeah, I do wow. I overheat really quickly um, something that you would have never even I would never have considered that yeah no so the heat yeah. just can't get out so I mean I guess the 
the positive is I enjoy winter because I don't get cold very often. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, in summer I've just got to be careful. And look, to be honest, you know, from from well that age, the doctor said, "Look, your because your skin's already damaged, you pretty much can't go in the sun." Mm. So that's just made me be an outdoor person. It's, it's all yeah, right. And I was just thinking that. So you, you know, have possible possible things that can affect your ability to overheat and sweat um, and do physical activity. And so you decided to join the police force where you had a physical test to be able to get in. Yes. Yep. yep. No, that's yep. that's good. I like that. That's the kind of determination yeah. I hope my children take yeah. forward. <laughs> love a challenge all right we're going to finish off the interview on a really really nice note um as you guys know marley has an incredible chocolate lab um called patty who's her seizure response service dog um he has completely changed our lives just completely changed our lives his ability to let us know when a cluster of seizures are coming so we can disrupt that with early medication um his ability to su support her through medical trauma and anxiety and just the fact that he's just such a beautiful member of our family like there's something pretty special about labs yeah. people had told me this before I didn't get it until we had one and now I just can't imagine our life without him. Um, Jimmy, you're working with the canine unit um, and you would understand better than most how phenomenally intelligent and intuitive these animals are. Um, just to close us out today, can you tell me a little bit about what you do in that role? Because I think our listeners would be really fascinated. Yeah, no worries. So um, my my little my little dog is Quixie. She's a little, yeah. she's a little black lab. Um, she's awesome. Um, I'm pretty sure she thinks she's running the show most of the time. Sure. Uh, yeah, she probably uh, is. <laughs> uh, um, look, I've only been in the role a short amount of time, but I absolutely love it. I'm based at the airport mm -hmm. and I get out there and I get to run around. And I'm very, very lucky and grateful for my job because mm -hmm. I think it's the best job in the world. I get to play with my dog yeah. all day. It's fun. It's There's a lot of like learning and, and it's physically tough running around and doing a lot of work, but I, I love it. Mm -hmm. I'm very lucky. So um yeah it's, it's great um so what sort of things can police dogs do um i won't go into sort of specifics of what each dog does um so in our sort of kennel we've got a number of dogs and between them they they will search for explosives guns currency drugs all sorts of things so we generally have uh, individual dogs that do certain things we just don't sort of um go into what dog does what um okay so just to close it out for over 40 years, Australian blood donors have been keeping your family together. Um, it's just such a joy to talk to you guys. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your stories on the podcast. And I can't wait to catch up with you when our borders finally open and you get to come to the Sunshine Coast and visit us all. Thank you. I'm recording this conclusion in the hours after recording that interview. And what has stayed with me so much is that everyone is fighting a battle that we don't know about and it's just so important to be kind. And also how inspirational stories like these are. People overcome so much extraordinary adversity and go on to live and love with so much gratitude. This podcast was always supposed to be more than just the stories of the illness or injury that required recipients to need blood product. It was more about celebrating all the things that they were able to achieve after they survived the incident. And Emma and Jimmy are just such a beautiful reflection of the love, the family joy, the civil and community service that has been possible because blood donors kept them alive and they are living their best lives. Nothing feels more Australian like the modern demonstration of mateship 
than donating blood or breast milk and this product being used to keep another Australian alive. Our daughter is still alive today because of this incredible selfless gift and it is my absolute privilege to create a space for others to tell their stories and to give thanks. This podcast is written and presented by me, Kate Fisher. Our wonderful guests today were Emma and Jimmy and I thank them so much for being so candid in sharing their stories so openly today. And as always, Marley's dad and my lovely husband, Jeff Fisher, did the audio production for this episode. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe and share this episode with a friend and go to the Milkshakes for Marley Facebook page to join our community of blood donors and recipients and see the additional content on the guests that we profile each week. To make an appointment to donate plasma and other blood products in Australia, please go to www.lifeblood.com.au and we would love it if you could add your donation to the Milkshakes for Mali Lifeblood Team Tally. And as always, I will leave the final word to our beautiful daughter, Mali. Thank you for my plasma. <laughs>